First Thessalonians chapter 5, and we will be in, uh, we'll begin in verse 16. Let's begin in verse 16. We will read all the way to verse 22 this morning. This is the word of the Lord. Please give it your full attention. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we come to you now in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the power and strength of your Spirit. And Lord, we ask that you would give to us grace this morning as we consider what a prophet or prophecy is. And Lord, that you would give us great discernment. That you would help us to be able to, Lord, through uh, this teaching this morning to be able to discern what is truly a word from the Lord and what is not. God, we pray that you would give to us grace. Lord, I decrease that you may increase. Be glorified in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to welcome you on this Lord's Day Sabbath as we continue to uh, work through our short series, Encouragements While We Wait. Uh, last Lord's Day, we considered the command, do not quench the spirit. And we learned that quenching the spirit is simply stifling the work of God, the Holy Spirit among us. Uh, we learn that we quench the spirit when we yield to the flesh and not to the spirit. We learned that we quench the spirit when we do not attend to the means that he has provided for our growth and for our forming and shaping us in Christ likeness. Of course, we know those means are the word of God, prayer, the Lord's Supper and baptism that are provided for us on the Lord's day. Quenching the spirit would be avoiding the means and also devaluing the means that the spirit has provided for us when measured against other means or other things. Uh, should I, you fill in the blank, over and against assembling with the saints for worship, attending to the means of grace on the Lord's day. Uh, quenching the spirit would be choosing the thing other than what the spirit has provided. It's important to note that when Paul gives this command, do not quench the spirit. It is in the context of what he has already said. Now, I say that because oftentimes when we've heard this command, do not quench the spirit. We disconnect it from everything that has already been said. And only connected to that which is said after the command. This is what I mean. Paul has already said, encourage one another. Build one another up. Highly esteem your elders. Live in peace with one another. Admonish the unruly. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Do not repay evil for evil. Do good to all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. All of these things are God's will for your life in Christ Jesus. It is what the Spirit is working among us. And if you oppose any of these things, you are working against or quenching the Spirit. You are pouring fire on the work of the Spirit, if you will. It's also, though, not disconnected from what Paul is about to say, if that makes sense, which is, do not despise prophetic utterances. We're going to talk about that in a moment, but don't disconnect what Paul has said already is a work of the Spirit and only focus on the prophetic 
utterances command. Because it's not disconnected. They are all connected. It is interesting that to quench has two meanings. And the meanings, the two meanings of quench are the exact opposite of one another. Quench is to satisfy in one definition, and quench is also to extinguish in the other. Paul is using the latter definition. Paul is saying, do not extinguish the work of the Spirit among you. Don't pour fire or or water on the work of God the Holy Spirit among you. That's the context of the command prior to the command. Do not despise prophetic utterances or prophecy. Once again, this morning we are confronted with a passage that might cause us to scratch our heads. But for the ones who this was first spoken to, it would have been no problem for them to nod their head in agreement. uh, To say amen. But you always, we must always remember the context of which this was spoken. This is being spoken to a first century church. What is prophecy? What is a prophet? What do prophets do? And and before I move forward, I would like to first recommend two sermons that Pastor Isaiah taught about two or three weeks ago. The first one is called On the Office of a Prophet. The second one is called On Prophets Today. Those sermons really do lay a solid foundation for so many things that I would have to explain in this passage. And so thanks be to God, Pastor Isaiah has already done two sermons for me, if you will. And they have been properly explained. So I encourage you, go back, listen to those, and then maybe listen to this sermon. And that will help, I think, lay the foundation for what we are going to discuss this morning. So this morning, we will make some preliminary statements about prophecy so that we are all on the same page and then some, and then identify some marks of a true prophet. Uh, I will say that this morning we will not specifically exegete the text this morning, uh, but rather we'll do that next week. So this morning we'd like to just give some marks of true prophecy. So here are some preliminary statements about pro- prophecy. Prophecy is a direct, infallible revelation from God. Prophecy, in its most, uh, I think, clear sense, is a direct, infallible, that means perfect, revelation from God. Uh, the core idea of prophecy is that God himself is speaking. And since we believe that God is perfect, and that God is uh, whole, infallible, anything that God says is therefore infallible. So if the prophet is speaking for God, then what he speaks is infallible. He is the mouthpiece, if you will, of God. And what the prophet speaks, he speaks perfectly true. Because it is God who is speaking through a man. Pastor Isaiah spoke about this. That if a prophet says, thus saith the Lord, and he's wrong, well, there's a great deal of difficulty or or problem with that statement, isn't it? If, If the prophet is saying, God is saying and God has not said, then they are cursed. They are to be put to death according to the word of God. In Ephesians 4, Paul says or tells us that when Christ ascended into heaven and was exalted, he was rewarded for the completion of his work. And he blessed his church by pouring out blessings upon it or her through the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Lord Jesus gifted to his church apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers These spiritual gifts, and they are gifts, were given to the church. Listen to this. To establish the church. To build her up unto maturity. That is Christ-likeness. And to ready her, us, as a bride without spot or blemish, waiting for our bridegroom to return for us. Prophets were a very important part in Paul's day very important part of the church in Paul's day, I should say. And the reason for this is because the church during Paul's day did not have the scriptures that you and I have. The Old Testament was written. It was collected. But it wasn't always accessible to everyone, although it was the scriptures. 
The Thessalonians would not have the entire New Testament that you and I have. The reason for that is because it was still being written and it was still being collected. The most that they could have was the Old Testament in its entirety and this letter and maybe the next letter from the Apostle Paul. They also possibly had copies of other letters that were written during the same time. They maybe had one of the Gospels, maybe. But it wasn't in everyone's lap like it is for you this morning. So this new found church, that that's the church of Thessalonica, and the new believers had this gift of prophets who would use their gift to minister to the church the word of God. And as they ministered to the church the word of God, they were confirming the word that had already been spoken. We'll talk about that in a moment. Prophets would have played an important role in teaching the church at this time and also forming what we now call the New Testament. Different times then than we have today. In this context, Paul commands the church of Thessalonica not then to despise prophecy, but because for that time it was for their good. Paul says, when prophets come, test the prophecy. Test it against what? Test it against the scriptures. Because not everyone who says they are a prophet really is a prophet. And not everyone or everything that is said to be prophetic is really from God. So we must test the prophecy. And when tested against the scriptures, what God has already said, Paul tells the church, retain the good, abstain from every kind of evil in prophecy. That's how it's tested. Retain the good, abstain from the evil. So today, with God's help, I would like us to discuss the marks of what is good. How do we know it's good? What are some surefire tests that we can have for ourselves to determine and discern whether or not something is good so that we can retain it? We do not believe, let me just say this as we move forward, we do not believe, we do not confess in this church that there are prophets today in the sense that they are giving new revelation. Let me just let that sit in for just a moment. We do not believe that there are prophets today who are giving new revelation. If that's the case, then our Bible is not complete. But we do believe in prophets today in the sense that God uses men to say what he has already said. We'll talk about that next week. The role of prophecy in preaching. So this morning, I'd like to walk through six uh, marks of true prophecy. Number one, true prophecy agrees with revealed scripture. True prophecy agrees with revealed scripture. Acts chapter 17 and verse 11. I'm going to move pretty quickly, but if you'd like to write these down, you are more than welcome to or, or turn to them. Acts 17, 11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. These are the Bereans. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. The apostle Paul took the gospel to the Jews as their birthright privilege, saying essentially, the Christ of the Old Testament is Jesus. The man who died and rose again. He ascended to the right hand of the Father and he is very God incarnate. Now Paul is making a truth claim. But he's using the scriptures of the Old Testament as his authority. In Acts 17, the Bereans who received this message received it with eagerness. Tell us more about this Jesus that you say is the Messiah of the Old Testament. And Paul calls the Bereans more noble than even those in Thessalonica. In the book that we are working through. He calls these Bereans more noble than those in Thessalonica. Because initially, those in Thessalonica rejected this message. But the Bereans, they did their homework. In order to test what Paul was saying, they went to the word of God. 
They examined the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was so. Brothers and sisters, this should be your practice every Lord's Day. When your pastors, when your elders come and bring to you the word of God, it should be your practice to examine the scriptures to see if what these men are saying is so. Hold us accountable to what? To the authority of God's word. Do not ever just take what we say because you like me. Yeah, maybe many of you don't like me, but either way, don't take what we say just because we said it. Never follow a man simply because you like him. Does he preach God's word? Is he faithful to God's word? Is he showing himself humble and putting himself under God's word, not standing over God's word? If you ever go to a church just because you like a man, Regardless of what he's saying, you are in error. You are not a faithful believer holding fast to the word of God. Hold fast to God's word. Keep the man who speaks God's word accountable to God's word. Not how much you like them. Not how much time you spent at a barbecue with them. God's word. God's word. In order to validate the message of prophecy, because that is what Paul was doing. This is the Christ of the Old Testament. The Bereans did not trust their feelings. You know that people can be very persuasive. There are people who, because of the way that they are able to deliver a message, can persuade people, even if what they're saying is false. My dad used to say that when he would go to the prison, there were people who would say, I don't believe this whole thing, but I believe that you believe it because of the way that you preach it. It has nothing to do with whether or not they're going to be saved. In order to validate the message, the Bereans did not trust their feelings. Don't trust your feelings. Don't sit here and say, I had a warm feeling. I, I, I got goosebumps when you preached. Is it the word of God? They did not rely on whether they, they liked or disliked the message. Don't come to the sermon and say, I like that. I'll receive it. Most of the time, the message that you don't like will be the one that must be received. They did not rely upon whether or not it was a popular message. Everyone's, everyone's doing it. Everyone's saying it. They relied upon the authority and the reliability of God's word. Here is what God has said. Here is what God has already said. Is this message in line with what God has already said? If so, then believe that message. Paul was regarded as a true prophet or a false prophet. And the message was regarded as true or false to the degree that it corresponded with or agreed with what God had already said and revealed in his word. When the Bereans examine the scriptures, they examine the Old Testament if Paul's message was not in concert with the message of the Old Testament, and if it not, did not appear that Christ matched the Messiah that had been foretold in the Old Testament, then Paul's message would not be true. And Paul would not be from God. But as they examined the Scriptures, they saw that Paul's message did correspond with the Old Testament. And this Christ that Paul was speaking of is the Christ of the Old Testament. Therefore, what Paul says is true. Paul's message is from God. Paul, therefore, is a prophet from God. Who speaks on the authority of the Holy Spirit. By the authority of the Holy Spirit. And how is this so? It's because the Holy Spirit always says the same things. The Holy Spirit always says the same things. If the Holy Spirit has recorded so large a portion of Scripture. Uh, read the 39 books of the Old Testament. All of this revelation. Any prophet who speaks must be in agreement with what God has already revealed. The same spirit that spoke out, breathed out the Old Testament will be the same spirit who breathes out, who speaks out the New Testament. Uh, dear saints, the spirit would not give a new message in the sense that it is different from the message that he's already given. We confess that the spirit of God reveals by further steps. But it always is an uncovering of more and more of what God has already said. It would be like having a painting on a wall and just little by little revealing and pulling away the curtains so that you can see the full picture. One example of this is the message of the garden. 
Uh, the Messiah prophesied in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman. And all we know at that moment is the seed. There is, will be a seed who will crush the head of the serpent. This one is then further revealed through progressive revelation. We find out as we are pulling more and more away from that beautiful painting, he will be a son of Abraham. And then God reveals more, he will be born from the tribe of Judah. And God reveals more, born in Bethlehem. And then God reveals more, born of a virgin, etc., etc. And then we see the picture and John the Baptist says, Behold the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here is the picture that we have been waiting for. So then if a prophet comes and says, he will be born in Oregon. Well, he is speaking something contrary to what has already been spoken. Therefore, he is a false prophet. Biblical prophecy always is in concert with what has already been revealed. If the prophets of the Old Testament had the same spirit by which Paul claims to speak, then their message should be a united one, not a divided one. This is what persuaded the Jews to believe. They saw Christ was the Christ of the Old Testament. Therefore, we believe you are from God and we accept this message. But not because of how they felt, but because of what God had already said. Prophecy is tested by what the Spirit has already spoken. And accepted because of that which is corresponding, which was with what has already been said. Prophets must speak what has been said for thousands of years. For it is the same Holy Spirit. Number two. Prophecy must agree with the common. These are important words. The common public apostolic tradition. Prophets must agree with the common. That is another word for common should be orthodox. With the common or orthodox public. It's publicly proclaimed. Apostolic tradition, that which has been passed on to us from the apostles. First uh, Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 37, if, if you would please turn there or write it down. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, listen to this, let him recognize the things which I write to you as being the Lord's commandment. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Paul says, if anyone thinks they're a prophet, now remember, he's telling the church, don't despise prophecies. Here's a way to test them though. If anyone is receiving our message and speaking the same thing, we are in agreement. If anyone is coming to you and saying something contrary to what we have said to you, we are not in agreement. Don't accept them. The test that Paul puts forth for any so-called prophet is they must be examined. And the way that they are examined is if they validate the message of Paul. Now, when Paul says, uh, my message, he's not just speaking about himself. He's speaking about actually all of the apostles, which is what John will do later in First John. He'll say, if anyone uh, receives us, they are received in a sense. And when he says us, he's speaking about all of the apostles. If one who calls himself a prophet and does not acknowledge Paul's message they are to be shunned and rejected. Paul spoke alongside of the apostles, not separated from the apostles. It's amazing how you have people who call themselves apostles today. And their message is completely different from the apostles' message. They are not apostles, Paul would say. They are rejected. They are denied by the apostles. They are not one of us. When Paul says, my message again, it's not just his message. It's the message of the apostles. The authority of the apostles created from the New Testament church or for the New Testament church, a deposit of doctrine. As the apostles are teaching, they are laying a foundation for the church. They are depositing a doctrine for the church. Ephesians 2.20 tells us that the church is built on the foundation of what? On the apostles. That is their teaching. The prophets those who would come and, and affirm what the apostles were preaching and with Christ as being the chief cornerstone that holds all of these teachings together. The teachings of the apostles were common, orthodox teachings. 
They are the foundation of it all. And it was common to all of the churches. All of the churches were receiving this message and all of the churches were in agreement with one another. And it was public. Their message could be known to all. They declared that Christ is the Messiah. That He lived, that He died, that He ascended, that He is very God. A very God. The apostles handed down to the church a common, orthodox, public teaching of what was true and also in the manner to live in light of this truth. If the message does not agree with the scriptures and the apostolic tradition, it is a false message. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 12, Now if Christ is preached, listen to this, that he has been raised from the dead. Here's the message. Christ has been raised from the dead. Everyone knows it. Everyone knows this is the message of the apostles. Christ has been raised. He is no longer dead, but alive. Paul says, how do some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Here's our message. Christ has been raised from the dead. But some of you are saying that as some prophets are coming in saying, there's no resurrection from the dead. Christ didn't actually rise. Paul is saying, if that's our message, all of the apostles, how are you saying that it's not true? You are a false prophet. Look at the argument. Christ is proclaimed publicly as being raised from the dead. That's the Christian message. The public, common, orthodox, apostolic tradition passed on. Why would someone speak something else other than the resurrection from the dead? Anyone who does so is a false prophet. For a Muslim, I'm going to say some names today. I'm going to say some different religions today. I pray that you are not off put by that. If you're off put by that, read the scriptures. Paul does it all the time. In order for you to know who a false prophet is, you need to know their name. You need to know who the wolf is so that you can stay away from the wolf. So I'm going to name some wolves today. I know you don't listen to them, but you know other people who do. Tell them they are a wolf. They are dangerous for your soul. A Muslim claims that Christ did not resurrect because they believe that Christ actually never died. That he only appeared to die, but didn't actually die. This is not consistent with the Old Testament prophecies about Christ. It's not consistent with history, what actually happened. Therefore, the Quran is an error and not reliable. Therefore, the so-called prophet Muhammad and the other contributors to the Quran are also false prophets. I, my wife the other day, uh, she showed me this video of a Muslim, a, a so-called Christian and a uh, a Jew, a person who practiced Judaism, all sitting together. And their goal was to talk about their commonalities. And every single time they spoke about their religion, they were blurring the lines that are obviously made clear for us in Scripture. Making it seem as though they are all one religion and they are not. The Quran disagrees with the Bible. And any person who says we agree is a false prophet. Even if he calls himself a Christian. It's not consistent with the prophecies of the Old Testament. First John 2, 26 and 27. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. Here's what it is. Here's what the anointing is for. And you need no one to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, just as has been taught to you, abide in him. What does that mean? You don't need me? No. God promised in the new covenant, revealed in the Old Testament, that the new covenant, that he would make the promise of the new covenant, that he would give his people his Holy Spirit and that his spirit would teach them. This morning, you are able to learn because God the Holy Spirit is teaching you by his word. The Holy Spirit is common to all of God's children. And he is teaching us this morning. We are helped to see, to identify, and to believe, and to obey God's word. If you did not have the Spirit this morning, you could not learn. He is teaching you. He is instructing you. 
He is illuminating your minds. Without God, the Holy Spirit, none of this would make any sense. He is teaching you. We are not being taught different things then. We are not being taught or we are being taught the same things. <coughs> we have the same spirit and same equal access to knowledge. This is the context of what John is teaching. There were false teachers who claimed to have secret knowledge. They were Gnostics. They had secret knowledge. They claimed that they knew things that others did not know. Things that had been revealed only to them and to no one else. John says, well, that is a surefire way to prove that someone is a false prophet. If someone says, God told me something. God showed me something. And you say, that's strange. I've never heard that anywhere. Well, he showed me. He, he told me that. You're a liar. You're deceived. I see that nowhere in the scriptures. But he told me. He said it to me. He revealed it to me. But only to you. Only to me, though. There was a false preacher named false prophet, false preacher, false everything, Jesse Duplantis. And every time that he spoke, he would always be talking like him and God were having these deep conversations. And only God spoke to him. God would say to him, yeah, the other day I was saying, I was just talking, and the Lord said, Jesse. And I said, yes, Lord. Lord, why you do that to me, Lord? As if him and, go listen to him, that's exactly the way he talks, probably a little bit worse. The most foolish man you'll ever listen to. Who has all of these secret conversations with God and God reveals to him all these different things about what God wants him to do and what God wants him to say that have never been said before. He's a false prophet. Anybody who listens to him and if anybody had any discernment while they're listening to him would pull the trap door and make that man fall down to the depths of hell where that message comes from. He's a false prophet. And all those who agree with him are false prophets. The spirit teaches us the same things. John says, he has taught you, so then abide in him. We have been given this message and we remain because the spirit will not lead us away from him, but rather will lead us closer to him into deeper understanding of him. Anyone who takes you away from this message is a false prophet. Let them be, Paul says, accursed. The spirit does not whisper. The spirit shouts. He publicly, publicly proclaims this is God's word. There have been so many prophets, so-called false prophets, with their exclusive messages that only God has spoke to them that do not coincide with what God has revealed in his word. They are to be rejected. The Spirit declares publicly, orthodox, or, or in an orthodox way, Jesus is the Christ. He lived, he died, he has risen, he's ascended. Repent and place your faith in him and you will be saved. It is the message for the world to hear. It's not a secret message. It's not private. There's no whisper from the Holy Spirit. We are being taught, all of us, the same thing. This tells us that prophecy must agree with the common, orthodox, public, apostolic tradition. We have an apostolic tradition inscripturated for us in the New Testament. There it is. There's the message. In the New Testament, Paul perpetrated uh, the church... Or perpetuated the church by commanding that this faithful message be given and taught to faithful men and handed down and handed down and handed down. You are this morning receiving the message from the apostles. Do not despise prophecy then. Test it. Does it agree with what God has already revealed? If so, accept it with joy. So many, uh, may, we may call so-called prophets who supposedly have this message come up with these weird messages like God told me to tell you to give me $145 according to Psalm 145 and that he would fill your barns and that he would fill your storehouses and that they would overflow. That's something that God has never said to anyone. It's twisting of the scriptures. And that's what false prophets do. A good test is whenever you hear something and no one has ever heard it and no one has ever said it, it's most likely false. Let's just do it this way. It's false. Reject it. 
They have not the Holy Spirit and they are false prophets. Number three, true, true prophecy must confess the true deity and humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. True prophecy must confess the true deity and humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 John chapter 4, we are told, test the spirit. We can know that someone speaks this by, by the spirit of God if they speak the message that the spirit of God communicates. What is, or which is this, Christ is the son of God. He is very God in human flesh. Every spirit that confesses that Christ is from God is from God. And every spirit that does not confess, confess that Christ is not from God and that he is not God is not from God. Note how John validates his own authority saying we are from God. That takes a lot, isn't it? For someone to say, I'm from God. My message is from God. Whoever listens to us, listens to God. Do not listen to us, then you're not listening to God. But we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Anyone claiming to be and speak by the spirit of God is constantly being limited and bound and guarded and submitted to the authority of the scriptures and the apostles. Am I saying what has already been said? This is tested in one specific way in relation to the true deity and humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a, a specific test that has been challenged throughout all the history of the church. And no matter what kind of mask it is put on, the church has constantly had to test whether or not a message is true if someone approves or denies that Christ is very God and very man. It's one of the main reasons for it. It is the main reason for the Nicene Creed. This is one of the many ways that we identify heresy. Not every error, let me say this really clearly, not every error is heresy. There are some people who have errors, I believe, in their teachings, but they're not heretics. John MacArthur, I believe he has many errors in his teachings, but he's not a heretic. R.C. Sproul, though I love the man, I believe he has many errors in his teaching, but he's not a heretic. We're going to talk about some heretics in just a moment. To deny the true identity or deity, sorry, identity, or deity and humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ is heresy. Therefore, Jehovah's Witnesses are not Christians in any sense of the word, even though they say they believe in Jesus. They do not believe in the Jesus of the scriptures. Mormons are not Christians in any sense of the word. They have the wrong Christ and the wrong scriptures. And so do Jehovah's Witnesses. The Spirit will not change his message. Jews who deny Christ is the Messiah, both God and man, they are lost in spite of their national heritage. Those who call themselves Christians but deny the Trinity, they are lost. Those who deny the Father, the Son, and the Spirit being eternal, equal, distinct persons, yet one, they are not saved. The Spirit always says the same things. He will not all of a sudden start to say, Christ is not really God, He's just a man. And they won't, they won't say the opposite. Christ is only God and not a man. He will not start to say that Christ is actually Michael the Archangel. He will not start to say, Christ actually did not die, only appeared to die. And he is only a man, a high prophet, but only a man. He will not say that Christ and the devil are actually brothers. He will not say there is one God in three persons, not one God in three persons, but actually nine within the Godhead. Benny Hinn. False teachers like Creflo Dollar. Now, I know you don't listen to these false prophets, but you know people who do. Creflo Dollar teaches that Jesus is not God because when Jesus was in the boat during the storm, he was asleep. And God never sleeps or slumbers. Therefore, Jesus could not be God because he was sleeping and slumbering. And while he was saying this, those who are being deceived are in the crowd saying, wow. You're right. I've never thought about that before. 
It's because it's not orthodox. It's because it's heresy. And receiving it makes you deceived. And you have not the spirit. False teachers like T.D. Jakes. I know you don't listen to T.D. Jakes. But you know people who do. Who are heavily influenced by him. Who believe there is one God who takes on different roles at different times. It's one of the oldest heresies in all of Christianity. Anyone with any kind of discernment would see that as blasphemy and once again open the trap door for that false prophet. Those who say such things are not from God, they are from Satan. Uh, this morning, or in, in a few moments, I'm going to explain why we, we need to say all of these things. Why it is in concert with, with encouragements while we wait for the return of our Lord. Because if we are being deceived by these false prophets, then we disrupt the peace that God is establishing in the church. We need to, to look out for one another to make sure that none of us are being led astray by these false teachings. Number four, and I have two more after this, prophecy must declare the gospel, the true gospel. Paul says, let's go to it actually together, in Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. When the church was being deceived, Galatians chapter 1. And verse 8. But even if we, that is Paul and all of those who uh, he taught alongside of, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed or anathema. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. This is really kind of a repetition of the first and second point. But Paul says, even me or an angel, or what you think is an angel, comes and preaches to you a gospel other than what you've heard. Reject it. They are cursed. That message is cursed. The Spirit will speak through His mouthpieces the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We could go back to the heresy test and identify different heresies because the gospel has been so corrupted, mutilated, and destroyed that it does not resemble the gospel anymore and you must reject it. Paul says, cursed be upon them who distort, who mutilate the gospel. Those who distort the gospel by deceiving or bewitching people with false truths, reject them. Expel, expel them. Remove them from your midst. This is why the church, brothers and sisters, we must test all things. It's so important for us to, when we're hearing the gospel also, and, and I'm going to add this to this, to go to your elders. Go to those who are in your church and ask them, I've heard this. What do you think about this? Never just take and say, I've done my research. Here's what I think. I'm going to make a decision based upon what I think for myself. We are not the end-all, be-all of all truth. We must have those around us who can help us, who, who can give us maybe some clarity. It's great when you ask people questions. I'm not really understanding this. Is this what God means? Is this what the gospel means? Is this the, the, the meaning of the true deity and humanity of Christ? Help me to get this. Great to ask questions. We must test all things. Anyone who brings to you a message that says, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. Anathema. Anyone who says to you, if you don't submit to the ceremonial, the civil and the moral law, the, the law of Moses, and believe in Jesus, you're not saved. Anathema. That's what was happening in Galatia. Anyone who says to you, you don't need the law, all you need is grace. Anathema. That's not the gospel. Anyone who says to you, if you don't worship on Saturday, you're not saved. A seven-day Adventist who proclaims that as being a part of the gospel message is not saved. They are false teachers. And we can go down a checklist of all of the things. And what they simply are adding up to is this. Anyone who adds a work to the finished work of Christ is a false teacher. 
And they are to be accursed. Anyone who says, you can have faith in Christ, plus you must do this in order to be saved, that's legalism. And that message is rejected. Paul said of those in Galatia who were distorting the truth that they were dogs. Paul said they were people who have witchcraft among the people. That their message of works righteousness was to be accursed. Let him who brings to you another gospel be anathema. Know the gospel, brothers and sisters. Know the gospel. Uphold it. So that when someone comes to you with a different gospel, other than repent and place your faith in Christ alone and you will be saved, reject that false preacher. Number five. Prophecy must be accompanied by godly character. I could do a whole sermon on each of these. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, the beginning of this letter, we find that Paul is concerned that when he leaves the church, that they will no longer believe in the message. He was concerned that wolves would come in and deceive the church. Paul writes to defend himself. He calls on those who are listening to uh, accept his apostleship. One of his arguments to validate his authority and genuineness is found in verse 4 and 6, 4 through 6. Let's look at it. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4 through 6 reads this. Knowing, brethren beloved by God, his choice of you, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power of the Holy Spirit and full of conviction. Just how, here it is, just how you know, or just as you know what kind of men we proved to be for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, you know what kind of men we were for your sake. I don't know if you know this, but but the apostle Paul had a job. As Paul went from town to town, his job was he was a tent maker. And you know that many people during that time lived in tents. And so Paul would build small homes for people. That was his way of funding the ministry. And Paul says, I decided not to take any money from you, even though it was my privilege. As ministers, it is our privilege. It is what God has commanded the church to do for ministers, to provide for them. Paul says, this was my privilege, but I didn't take it. I could have received money from you, but I decided not to. Why? To show you that that is not why I was there. To show you that I was there to preach the gospel to you. To be a shepherd to you, a pastor to you. Not to take your money. Is it wrong for a pastor to receive money? Not in the least. But Paul was trying to make a point that he was not there to make money. He was there to be a preacher of their soul. Paul reminds them of this of this point. But Paul also says, and I didn't come for for myself to make clones of myself. I hope that's clear, too. Paul's not saying to them, you all need to dress like me. You need to style your hair like me. Uh, You need to style your facial hair like me. You need to drive the same kind of car that I drive. That's the kind of church that I came from. All of a sudden, everyone started to have the... uh, that, that combing down haircut, the one that looked just like Rod Parsley. And it was like, everyone looks the same. What's going on over here? And so because of that, uh, I went in the opposite direction. I was wearing green fatigues to church because I was telling everybody, I'm not one of you. Paul's trying to make that point. He's not trying to make people clones of himself. He wants you to follow Christ. Follow Christ. He came to preach the message of the gospel and call them to follow, not Paul, but follow Christ. And Paul commends them for enduring persecution, noting that their perseverance was a work of the spirit among them. I'm just reminded of something. I better not say it because I looked at you and I remember you have some memories, too. Paul proved to be authentic among them because of the lifestyle that he lived among them. That's huge. You should be able to be around your elders And as far as you can tell, not perfect men, but at least godly men. As far as you can tell, men who, when they fall, are willing to 
repent of their sin and acknowledge that they've messed up. And that's also a pattern to follow. Paul was not taking from them, but giving to them. And in our day, there are so many who are taking. So many who are setting examples that should not be followed. We all know about the minister who I can't think of even off the top of my head now, who was recently caught after his death of being someone who was in a number of different sex scandals that were being hidden and covered up and swept under the carpet. Rabbi Zacharias, that's his name. And it's funny because I remember speaking or hearing John MacArthur say recently, I said about him, but nobody listened to me. Whenever he made his defenses, he never quoted the scriptures. MacArthur said that about him. That whenever he made his defenses, whenever he would go onto these university campuses, he never quoted the word. It was always philosophies. It was rarely the word. I thought, gosh, I, I didn't, I didn't catch that. Sex scandal after sex scandal that this man was involved in. And he was not a member of any church. There was no one to hold him accountable. Brothers and sisters, your elders do not just hold you accountable, but we ask you hold us accountable as well. That if we are not living lives that seem to be holy and prudent before you, that we are not li- if we are not living ab- above reproach, then we are imploring you, come to us, please, tell us. There is something in your life that I see as being immoral, and for your own sake and for the sake of the church, I am calling you to turn from it, please. We are opening that door wide open. But we should be people who live upright before you. It's one of the requirements of being an elder. We should be godly men and you should see it in our lives. We pray that you not only hear the message, but that you see a godly man delivering the message as well. Paul says, you know what kind of men we prove to be. Men of character. Living above reproach. Let's go on to our final, sixth and final point. Prophecy, if it is true prophecy, must edify and build up. There are three words that are found in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let's go there lastly. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 3. Here are the three words. But one who prophesies speaks to men, listen to this, for their edification, exhortation, and consolation. There's a sermon right there. These three words in First Thessalonians in chapter five, or found in chapter five, encourage one another, build one another up, encourage the faint-hearted is also a word used for console. A prophet is going to do the same things that the whole church should do. The whole church should build up. The whole church should encourage. The whole church should console. And it is what the prophet does when he prophesies. We'll talk about preaching and prophesying next week. Biblical prophecy should be for your edification, for your building up, and for your consolation. Helping you to grow and to mature in Christ's likeness. One of the means that God uses to build us up is the law and the gospel. How are we exhorted without commands? The commands do not come from the mind of prophets. We're not making these things up. But they are reinforced commands from God in his word. They're saying what God has already said. Here's what God commands. Obey it. It's amazing how we bring the commands and sometimes people think it's coming from us. It's not from us. It's from God. God has said these things. And as I said last week, if you reject this, you're not rejecting me. You're rejecting the one who gave the message. God. Prophecy edifies by using the law and the gospel. It builds up by using the law and the gospel. How are we comforted? How are we consoled? Not just by saying, it's all going to go away. Does anybody want that consolation? It'll pass. That doesn't help anybody feel better usually, does it? It'll go away. Uh, The funeral this past week, uh, I walked out and a gentleman thanked me and he said, I've been to funerals a lot, and I guess it just gets easier the more you go to them. I don't know if it ever gets easier. I think you might learn more about yourself and about God, but in terms of easy, I don't know if easy is the right word to use. 
we console using the law and the gospel. Not promising a check will come in the mail and then everything's going to be okay. Does money ever, ever make it all okay? Money makes it worse, doesn't it? The B.I.G. knew that. Money makes it worse. It, it seems to all of a sudden, now what am I going to do with all this money? I, I got to spend it here. I got to give some here. It also doesn't make things go away by saying promises that God hasn't said. Your babies will come home. Your marriage will just get better. These are things that God has not promised or, or given prophets to say because they're not necessarily a promise from his word. I remember the church that I came from. Uh, you could see, if you have any kind of discernment, as the preaching is going, who's crying, who's going through difficulty, and you could pick them out. During the, At the end of the sermon, they say, come up here. The Lord has a word for you. It's going to get better. You're, you're going through darkness right now. And the person is already crying. You bring them up. Now they're crying more, more hysterically. You lay hands, so-called, lay hands on them. And because of what they're going through in emotion, they fall down. And I'm sitting there thinking at 19 years old, is anybody reading the Bible? This doesn't seem to be happening in the Bible. It's pretty obvious that she, he was going through something. And then you see the married couple bring them up. And as they walk up, the woman's already crying. The man's trying to hold the strong face because he knows, oh, great. Here we go. You need to learn how to love her. Give her more time. And he's standing there shaking his head. And she's just crying hysterically because she wants him to be a better man. God is telling me, God didn't tell you those things. You could have said those things without saying God said. You could have brought those people to you in a private manner and said, how can I pray for you guys? Brother, maybe you don't need to preface it with, thus saith the Lord. What a dangerous thing to do. And what an arrogant thing to do. Thus saith the Lord. Prophet tells you that the gospel will comfort you. Prophets tell you that Christ has suffered in our place. Prophets will tell you that Christ has freed us from the curse of the law. Prophets will tell you that Christ has won for us a heavenly inheritance of peace and eternal life. And he will bring us there. So endure, brother and sister, press on. Be faithful. Wait. Be humble. Humble yourself. Trust in the Lord. That's an encouragement of the gospel that, that can be accepted as being from God. We bring the law and the gospel. Prophets don't tell you only what you want to hear. They don't give you random commands. Here is what God has commanded in his word. Paul was happy to be examined. I, a dear family said to me recently that they came from a church where the pastor didn't want you to just ask them questions. The questions had to be filtered first. To be questions that, that they would want to be asked of them. And if it was a question they wanted to be asked of them, then you could ask the question. You just can't ask me any random question. And you just can't ask me a random question about my teaching. Paul was happy to be examined. Test it. Test it. Here's the word of God. You have a question about it? Test it. I'm happy to have my message examined by the scriptures. I'm happy to say this corresponds to what God has said. I've got nothing to hide. We too should insist and even demand. Prove me. Prove this message. That this message is from God. That it is from the authority of God the Holy Spirit. Prove it. Go to God's word after this sermon. Prove it. See that it's so. I want you to. You won't be able to do so though. Unless you're actually walking through the scriptures. It should be your habit. It should be your spiritual discipline to be in God's word. I pray that you do so. Now this elevates preaching, in closing, to a very high office and responsibility of fidelity. To those who accept this call to speak on behalf of God, if you will, to persuade conscience for God. And woe to me, and Pastor Isaiah and anyone else who stands behind a holy desk. If they say what God has not said. Woe to those so-called prophets who take God's name in vain. By saying what he has not said. Now in this passage Paul may not be speaking about preaching. 
I don't believe he's speaking specifically about preaching, but we will talk about next week the role of preaching and prophesying in the local church. I think there's an overlap, but I don't think that Paul is specifically talking about preaching here in this passage. We have clear biblical tests, marks to use when identifying a prophet now, don't we? The Holy Spirit applies his word even to different people in different ways. We all hear a sermon and it touches us in different ways. It will convict in different ways, encourage in different ways, challenge in different ways. But it is the same Holy Spirit that applies his message to his people in different ways. But it's the same message. I pray that uh, this morning you have ammunition now to help those whom you know who are maybe being deceived by false prophets. And that you would use this also as a measuring rod when the word of God comes forth every Lord's Day on whether or not it is from God. And if it is, then receive it with joy. Let's pray.